nothing better than the feel of pen on paper. That little bit of resistance pushing back at me as I save my thoughts in a notebook. For years, I've looked to replicate that feeling on an iPad. But it's never really been the same, at least until I discovered Paperlike. The surface of the Paperlike is coated using nanodots, tiny microbeads that are designed to add superior stroke precision when you drag the Apple Pencil across the screen. The latest iteration of Paperlike is manufactured in Switzerland using high-quality plastic foils that are designed for maximum picture clarity. These foils are developed exclusively for Paperlike products. Every Paperlike comes in a set of two, so you'll always have a spare in case you need to replace it. Within a few weeks of applying Paperlike to my iPad Pro, my Apple Pencil is getting more use than ever. Taking notes, journaling, tapping through show notes, you name it. I feel like I'm realizing the true potential of the touchscreen without sacrificing my love of pen and paper. To pick up your Paperlike, head over to paperlike.com slash BGA, click buy Paperlike, and select your iPad size. Ready to do more with your iPad? Head over to paperlike.com slash BGA to get started. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Will. And this is episode 408, the end of D&D. We like to thank all our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. All right, friends, we are back and we have Will on the episode because Will told us on a previous episode that D&D and our role-playing games was awesome and it brought people together, and clearly he lied because the whole world is burning, and everyone's ripping everything down, so we brought him on the episode because he's responsible. I would like to apologize to my friends and family for my previous comments. There you go. See? See, folks? We feel justified now, right? We have one episode, we dedicate one episode to role-playing games, and then everything goes to heck. But for this episode, our feature will be review will be about Dungeons and Dragons and it coming to an end and Will taking 100% responsibility for all of the ongoings, but ideally to give us a good sense of a timeline and an understanding of what's happening because I don't know what's happening, but everything's burning on my phone. True. Yeah. So we're having a lot of that fun. So that will be our feature review. So whether you are a board gamer, a role-playing gamer, you're going to get a lot out of it because... As a fandom and as a community, we don't like when they mess with our stuff. So I think that's a good conversation to have because it's kind of happened from time to time. But that will be our feature review. Anthony's not with us this week because Anthony's dealing with a basement full of water at the moment. And he is desperately trying to save all his precious little board games down there. So he may jump in for the question of the week. So hold on for a minute and you might get a chance to hear Anthony. But until then, me and Will are at the helm. 
we are dry. Unfortunately, Anthony's a little wet, but he's going to take care of it, and he'll be back next week. That being said, we want to let everyone know that we still have brand new content on our Patreon channel. Uh, Jen and I have come back, and Jen, you can go back to a previous episode. It was called, I think, Board Games and Bras, where she talked about women in board gaming. And her and I did an episode about starting a board game group. So I'm not saying COVID's over, because clearly it's not. Because, well, we can't have nice things anymore, right? That's what we agreed upon. No, nice things, gone forever. Yeah. But Jen and I talked about some of our ups and downs, some of our bangs and bruises, and a lot of good information on how to have a great game group in this day and age. So it's a lot of that logistical stuff that I think that you really need to hear. But that's on our Patreon account, so check that out. And hit us on our, all our social media because there'll be new content coming out pretty soon. I also wanted to mention something that we talked about previously. And Will, you're on board with us as well. So Board Gamers Anonymous is also Board Game Academics. So we are doing a lot of cool stuff in higher ed. And we are getting more and more education out there on how to utilize board games in the classroom, in student groups, in student services, in counseling services, but also to bring a lot of that critical critique back into the board game world. So, you know, what does it mean to have colonization in board games? What does it mean to have interaction in board games? What is it, you know, what kind of world does it create to sit down with a bunch of people at the table? How does society affect board games how does board games tabletop games all those games affect society other than the current crisis where everything's burning down but how does all of that stuff happen and there's a lot of great people who've done a lot of great work talking about tabletop games board games role-playing games all the other kind of fun stuff and we're trying to bring them together so if you go to board game academics you will see we have now out our call for papers. So if you're out there and you've ever written a paper for school or you're a professional that writes papers and has something to do with tabletop gaming, we want you to submit it to us so that we can review it, have peers review it, and be able to help you build up that paper, present that paper at one of our upcoming conferences. And if it meets all that criteria, publish it in our journal. So think about all the stuff that you may have written or stuff that you may want to write. You can create a paper for our eventual convention and journal. Really, an abstract is required. So Board Game Academics, you can find it on our website. Check back that previous episode where we talk more about it, and it'll give you all the information on how to submit articles to the upcoming journal. All right, so that's what's going on with BGA. Will, we're going to talk about some fun stuff, of course, before we get into the nightmarish situation at Dungeons & Dragons, of course. See, all those parents back in the 60s and 70s were right. <laughs> they were right, it turns out. It was a bad idea. The uh, satanic frameworks in which it was built are now finally catching up to us. Yeah, no one no one thought corporate greed was actually the devil. Or we mean, Wait a minute, everyone thought that was true. <laughs> well, after the 80s, right? <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. Everyone was worried about the devil. It wasn't the devil. It was, yeah, business suit guys. I, I, I guess that's what it, what it comes down to. I, or literally, like every Scooby Doo episode, when they reveal the monster, it just turns out to be a white landowner. 
Like, yeah, it was like some guy. It was like, oh yeah, we met that guy earlier in the episode. He was bad. There it is. Yeah, you know the guy who owned the property was trying to sell the property or tank the property or buy someone else's property. You know, like like all that stuff. Like he was the bad guy the whole time. It wasn't the monster. We were the monsters. Ah. Unless you watch the new Velma series, and people are very upset about that. But we can only deal with one crisis at a time. If you want us to talk about Velma, and I have watched it, that's a different episode. This episode is about the fire that is all about D&D for the moment. All right. So, Will, we'll leave it to Anthony if he's able to jump in. If not, we'll get back to the question of the week next week, and we'll talk more about that. So, here's the question of the week. All right, Will. So, now that we're all done with all of our stuff, let's talk about what's going on with us, and let's talk about our acquisition disorders. So, Will... In the world of gaming, which is the most important world, and we'll talk about that in a minute, is there anything that you're looking at or interested in that you want to let everyone know about? Yeah, so uh, I did that thing where you back a game on Kickstarter, and then you're on their mailing list, and then they send you emails about the next thing that they're making, which I acknowledge is my own fault. Um, (laughs) But the thing that I got, they sent me like, here's our next Kickstarter. And the next Kickstarter, it's City of Mist. It's an RPG, um, if anyone's familiar. Um, I've heard about it, but I've never played the original. But they're like, hey, we're coming up with a new book and a new add-on to that system. Um, And the thing that got me was like, oh, I like the publisher, the current game. I obviously backed it. So, you know, they already got me. But uh, (laughs) legitimately, it's like, a stinger for their next thing the kickstarter is going live in a month or something a couple months um it looks cool modern rpg um the premise of this is that like fantasy characters and tropes and those powers and stuff like exist and you're playing as characters that have those powers so the stinger was there's a gif and there's a character who's rumpelstiltskin oh wow and he weaves bad luck into gold is the tagline. Oh, I love it. And it's like luck-based and gold-based powers. And I was like, oh, man, I hate that. I'm going to buy it. So <laughs> that's that's my one for today. I, 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 like, I like the general idea here that it's cyberpunk fantasy. And yeah. I, 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 again, I'm not really hardcore into the current RPG scene. So this is really surprising to me that this is a thing. Is this just like a new thing or they've been doing this in other places. So I will say there's like a different, a lot of different flavors to it. I think mm-hmm. city of mist is relatively new, the system okay. itself. Um, but yeah, traditionally like RPGs either break into like your medieval fantasies and your like sci-fis. Mm-hmm. And then there was like cyberpunk, which was like its own thing. Right. Yes. And then you get into like, uh, Shadowfall and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but now there's a lot more willingness, I think, to like cross boundaries or at least like smash things together and see what happens, um, which is kind of cool because you kind of have infinite flavors now where it's just like it used to be like, which country of medieval fantasy do you want to have? Like France, Germany, or England? And it was like, oh, I guess that's diversity yeah. or something. It's a different, but. And occasionally, yeah, it, occasionally the Edo period, right? Like, Every once yeah, in a while. Yeah, and occasionally there's like a Japan, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, oh, yeah, cool. Samurai. There you go. Big fan. Yeah, so this campaign will be up, and specifically Tokyo Otherworld. Again, I like 
I really like the art design here. I like the concept. And they're shooting for April. Is is that a thing? Are we looking at like you said? Is it is it is it a couple of weeks? Is it a couple of months? Because again, you should take a look at the website because I think the website has a lot of really cool content on it. But the Kickstarter will eventually be up, and if you've backed any of their other stuff, like Will, they will find you and they will make you back this. What I hear, they say February, so oh, uh, I could hit the button close. to add myself on launch, but I'm not. <laughs> I haven't done it yet. I'm hovering. It's true. I think we all need to hover a little bit more with the Kickstarter thing, especially these days. But I guess that's also the other good stuff about like role-playing games. They're pretty cheap, almost free to kind of ship in some cases, whereas mm-hmm. all the board game stuff is incredibly expensive. Yeah, and very involved production-wise, which I definitely understand. But like in this, where it's like, oh, I could just get the PDF, and then they'll just send it to me and the day it's done is <laughs> nice. <laughs> so now, Will, since you haven't been on the podcast very much, you're new, I want sadly and maybe you need to run right now because i want to expose you to the other side you you live again we're going to say it's a nice world it's not because dnd is on fire but it's a nice world let me introduce you to the other side of kickstarter the dark side of kickstarter this is marvel united multiverse so this is the opposite because it's endless numbers of miniatures and i mean that if you know anything about simon they're all about their miniatures. Their miniatures are great, but their shipping cost because of all the miniatures is a nightmare. Now, well, this is the third, I guess, I don't know if you would call it an expansion. It's like a standalone, but it's also kind of an expansion. The first major set was Marvel United, which was the vast majority was like the MCU characters. It was mostly the Avengers and some other characters. I backed that well. It was several hundred dollars. Don't ask me what I was thinking at the time. I still don't know. <laughs> um, if you take me to court, I'm going to deny it. I honestly don't know why I backed it. I'm going to, I'm going to just like being straight with you here. Like legitimately, I don't know why I have kicknesia. So when I kickstart something, the amnesia kicks in. <laughs> okay. Sure. That's my thing. It's a condition only I have. I don't know why I backed it. It showed up. I was like, what the hell was I thinking? It's done. Now, after that, Marvel United had Marvel United. X-Men. Now, I know I have backed that because Marvel United was a very good game, surprisingly enough, for being what was chibi miniatures in the Marvel Universe, and it was very, very light gameplay. It was cooperative gameplay. I love X-Men. I ra- I was raised on X-Men. I have all the comics. Um, I could, you know, Anthony was like kind of so-so on it. I was naming like all the crazy outside background characters that came in the box because again simon and their kickstarters like what they're famous for is they'll sell you the base set and then with the kickstarter is like 20 or 30 add-on characters that you could only get on kickstarter so if you don't back the kickstarter will you're really stuck with trying to track down on you know a secondary market these random little characters that are not really worth anything, but they charge like crazy amounts <laughs> but of money. They pretend they're worth it because it was limited. Yes. So Simon is kind of infamous for this. Again, I get it. They're trying to make money. So this one, Marvel United Multiverse, is about the multiverse in the Marvel Universe. So if you're not a Marvel comic fan or you're not a comic book fan, you don't understand the fact that like, the stories are told so many times over and over again that at some point at DC or Marvel, I'm not sure where it started, they got smart. They were like, hey, all of those things that happened happened in a different universe, right? So like 
Marvel 616 is like the Marvel comic book universe where like think most of this stuff happens, but if they don't like something, they're like, that was a different universe. So it doesn't count. Well, these are these oddity characters that are somewhat in the the current iteration of the Marvel universe in the, the films and TV show, because now the TV shows and the Marvel stuff, I don't know well, if you're a Marvel fan, but they finally yes. broke into the multiverse. So things are going to get weird. And I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure if people know that yet. It's going to get really weird, which is funny. You mentioned the multiverse stuff because I grew up on the ultimate brand oh, of yeah. Marvel comics. So yeah. like, Ultimate X Men, Ultimate Spider Man, or my thing like this. Miles Morales is now mainstream, and he yeah. was an alternate universe Spider Man for a hot minute. Yeah, and again, that's the that's the good and the bad of it. Like you said, when they really love a character from these one of these alternate universes, they bring them over. So this collection of characters in this in this game is similar to the actual game that you you've heard us talk about. We did an episode on it. We did an episode where you were trying to talk me out of it and everybody at home failed because I backed it anyway. So I blame you all for that. But this is another one where I'm really on on the line, as, as you mentioned, Will, about hovering over the button. Because first up, the box set, the main course set, is primarily the Wrecking Crew, if you know about this. And I'll skip through this pretty quickly because I could talk for hours about Marvel Comics and I don't know if everybody at home wants to know about this. But the Marvel United core box comes with doom and you know this other kind of world of doom it's it's more of a i guess secret wars doom and again i won't get too much into the lore because i I already hear people just kind of phasing out but nonetheless you get another box of stuff with characters that you probably know or don't know and a lot of the characters that come in the box is stuff that you've seen already in like the what ifs or the other marvel universes so you have agent carter who's now you know, Captain Britain, you have the other versions of Loki, the other versions of Iron Man, and so forth and so on. Nobody cares about that. Nobody cares about the random characters that are being added in stretch goals. So it's like Patriot and M and Roz and Cypher. And again, forgive me if those are your favorite characters. I love Marvel stuff too. Like I know who Corsair is and I know his, I know that he's the father of like Scott and stuff like that. And he's a Summers, but like these are really like 15th level deep kind of characters. And I keep seeing them pop up and I'm like, I don't either care or know about them. And I'm like, you finally reached my level. So yes, this is a thing that's happening, but here's the thing, Will, and I don't know if you've taken a look at this because it's kind of a spoiler here. No one cares about the Corset, but what everyone cares about is that there is a Galactus set where you get a giant miniature of Galactus and there's a board game mode where you play against Galactus and he blows up planets that you're standing on. So that's a a terrible job of not selling this to me. (laughs) You're you're telling me I'm doing a terrible, I don't want to back this. I don't need this. I'm very happy with the X-Men stuff. I'm sorry. I backed the Marvel United and I don't want to back this, but it comes with Galactus and his heralds and i just don't want to back this will (laughs) i just but it's currently on kickstarter it's making all the money it is somewhat inexpensive so if you get the core box and you get the galactus box it's a hundred bucks for all of that stuff and simon does continue to add stretch goals so there'll be more 
uh, individual characters. The only reason to honestly back this will is because they talked about, and we're seeing some of this now, is they're going to offer special sets of cards so that your previous sets will actually have the equipment and activities that those characters did. So when you played, and I know you haven't played it yet, Will, Marvel United, like Captain America has a, an attack, a punch. That's not really much of a thing, but now you can actually have Captain America's shield. So oh, okay. that's pretty cool because it, it gives more thematic gameplay here. Plus there's a new solo mode where you can play solo right now, but there's a better solo mode that they have included on here. And again, Giant Galactus, which is 23 centimeters tall and 12 and a half centimeters wide. I don't know why I would need this. I don't know why I would need this, but I don't know. So check it out. It's on Kickstarter. Avoid it. Back it. I don't know, but it's a thing. It's happening, Will. You can't get away from it, Will. It's happening. Yeah, now I know it exists, and this is a problem (laughs) for me. Yeah, it's another one of those emails that, like, you get through Kickstarter. It's like, hey, you backed these other things. How about this? You're like, damn it. (laughs) That's a large part of my life these days. Yeah, you like that drug? We got a better one for you, kid. Those damn completionists. All right, so those are the games that we will back or possibly will see. Join us for the episodes where we see if we corrupted Will, and now he has a room full of miniatures. All right, so let's talk about the games that we got to the table at our table, and we'll let people know if those games are a buy and they should run out and pick those games up. If those games are a play and they should sit down and play them. If those games are a dodge and they should avoid them. Or, in fact, if those games are the dreaded burn, and dear God, dear God, why did I back all those games? And you should not back those games. So, Will, you're doing your first kind of major review here. You played a game. You got a game to the table. Tell everyone about the the game you got. Yeah, so the game I got to the table was The Wolves. Um, It is a sort of uh, area control kind of game. The theme is that you're all different wolf packs and you're trying to control like turf as wolves. Um, And so you go around and you howl at other wolves and you get into wolf fights, you hunt animals, you, uh, you know, build up your pack and things like that. You uh, create dens and layers. it was actually something that, uh, Chris, you and I uh, did the demo at PAX Unplugged. Yes. Um, and I was like, oh, okay, this is a really cool game. Um, and my uh, girlfriend is actually into uh, wolves, really likes wolves as an animal and, you know, wolf motif stuff. So I was like, oh, that might be a good fit. Mm-hmm. Um, and finally got it to the table, and I enjoyed it. Um, I will say that it's... Uh, I count myself as a board gamer, as, like, someone who's sort of in the middle of like how much complexity can one brain handle when you're <laughs> trying to get a game to the table and explain it to people and everything. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a really interesting setup from Pandasaurus Games. They were nice enough to give us a review copy of this game. Plays two to five players. As you mentioned, it's this pack building strategy game where it has this really cool modular kind of setup. And then you have each of you have your own player boards with your player color. And you're able to kind of, I don't know how you would explain it, your own little tableau of like pieces that you get to play out on the board as far as controls concerned. And then on top, I think that's really a kind of a unique system with the different territories. Yeah, so I, I like the way it's set up. It's kind of clever in that um, there are different areas on the board and different areas of the board score at mm-hmm. different times. 
So it's about who controls the most territory in that board when it scores. And on a long enough game, some of the boards score twice. So you're constantly trying to kind of evolve your setup and you're playing against the other players who can mess up your system to some degree. Um, And it's really cool because it, it kind of incentivizes different levels of play. When I was playing it, I definitely saw people rush towards the the one that's about to score first, right? <laughs> and get in quick. And I saw people totally ignore the first um, couple scoring tabs and just be like, I'm going to play the long game at the one that's going to score last and maybe is worth more points. Or I'm yeah. going to spread out the board uh, so I have more control when other people are going to be rushing to get there, right? Um I think it was a really, I think it's a cool system. And I also like the way it's set up. It also has sort of an asymmetrical, like upgrade component to it. Mm, Where, you know, you build things and it, you upgrade different abilities for your wolf pack. Um, And so each game will be slightly different and each player will pursue different upgrade paths. Um, It also does a good job of kind of giving you an action economy where like, you're always trying to figure out what to do with your turn. You don't, you rarely feel like you have nothing to do with your turn. But it gives you some stuff. And then they also, along the way, give you like little tokens and stuff that might sure. affect how you play your turn, you know, to keep it spicy, keep it a little interesting. Nice. Yeah, no. And I know you played this at different player counts. Is there a player count that you recommend more than the other? I know the board reflects that as far as the, the size of it's concerned. Yeah, so they have included rules for two player, um, where there's like a third uh, player air quotes yeah. that is uh Robot controlled by AI. the eight yeah. yeah by like an ai situation um i would not recommend playing it with two people sure. um, because the way they have you set up the ai makes sense so it makes two players viable mm. but it kind of loses something where if you have a lot of players playing at the same time like if you have four or even five players um it gets really chaotic and there's a lot of mixing up and a lot of things to keep you going and engaged um with two players i felt like it was a little bit more uh oh you take your turn i'll take my turn and depending on who you're playing with that doesn't always translate to a good time so i would say three plus it's three to five Um, i think that's a good sweet spot but i i think that's a, a good enough way to play it and i think the game functions pretty well and uh really communicates its uh mechanics and vibe best to like even the larger side of that i would say yeah, I was wondering about that. So obviously you mentioned like the interest in wolves and this is somewhat of a, I guess, abstracted representation of the challenges and the, the competition that wolves, you know, face in the forest and how their packs kind of push against each other and they have to live and survive. Like, did you get any of that? Did this feel on any level like, oh, I really feel like this had a thematic integration was it thematic to play it did this feel like wolves yeah i will say i think it uh it had a certain theme to it i think if you're looking for like a board game that will translate the experience of being a wolf um totally faithfully i don't think this is it sure but it is very thematic in that it's like roaming territories and like the the base building part of it are like layers and dens and you recruit other wolves and you you know bully other wolves out of your territory um which is very thematic and it was actually a, i thought a clever translation of mechanic to theme mm-hmm. because you know sometimes you play a game that has like the theme could be anything and it's you know maybe doesn't do much for you and you or you could reskin it and it would be a totally different game 
Um, here, I think the theme of wolves was like a nice way to, oh, this fits the game we designed, but the game we designed also fits the theme, if that makes sense. They're gotcha. kind of mutual. Excellent. Well, yeah, the designer here, Ashwin Kamath, uh, Clarence Sissom, Simpsons, and the artist Paulina Linjama. So, uh, so Will, is the game a buy, a play, a dodge, a burn? What do you think? I I would say it's a play. Um, okay. I think for me, um, it's right on that line of a game. I like the complexity, but it might be too much for consistent play. And so I'm glad that I played it first and then got to own it. Sure. Um, so I would probably recommend uh, you play it, try it out, see if it's your speed, mm -hmm. because it probably isn't everybody's speed. Um, I know that it's sort of a brain buster and there's a lot of action economy and thinking. But if that's your game, uh, I think it's definitely a play. Nice. All right. Well, I was able to get a game to the table. A uh, review copy was sent from Board and Dice. Uh, this is a, a new game in their ever-growing T-series. So, Will, you may not know this, but Board and Dice is kind of known for naming all of their games. Not all their games, in fact, but the vast majority of their games, starting with the letter T. I don't know why, but that's a thing for them. So it's a thing. Uh, so, <laughs> Teletum is the new game. Teletum is the new T in the T series. And this is designed by two great designers, uh, Simone Luciani and uh, Danielle Tashini. And this is about being uh, traveling merchants throughout Europe. And the idea is that as you travel through the golden age of the Renaissance, you are providing resources, you're traveling with resources, you're dropping off, selling, trading, but you're also investing in the construction of cathedrals, you're building homes, you're working with noble families that become part of your particular tableau and give you special abilities that you put in your house. So you are one of these, uh, I guess, really rich patrons that are kind of transforming the area around them. Primarily, the game is dice management. So at the start of the game, you roll these colorful dice, and based on this action wheel, you place the dice down, and the color of the die represents the resources that you will get if you choose that die, and based on the pip number is how many of that resource you'll get, based upon where it's located, again, the pip number is what type of action you'll be able to take because that's really the main driver of this game, because primarily you have your own little player board where you're trying to put royal family members into houses and then get seals to activate them to do extra bonus actions. In addition to that, there's contracts that you, if you're able to turn over enough resources, you could build up this little contract track that'll score you a lot of victory points but primarily the game, Will, is very much about getting actions that get you other actions that get you other actions. So it's a little <laughs> bit of a snowball kind of conversation here, Will. But basically it comes down to taking dice and then doing the action based on the dice. Primarily the action is moving your cart around to put houses, to put these pillars up so that you could build the cathedrals. The cathedrals give you victory points. And this is the kicker, Will. You mentioned about the different scoring phases with Wolves. This has four scoring phases. Each of the four scoring phases, you know, has a special tile that's attached to it that shows you 
during that phase what's going to score. So it's not an area majority like Wolves is. It's based on did you do the thing that is supposed to score this round. You do the thing, you get the points, as long as you have visited and left a house or you have your wagon at that particular city in order to participate in that festival because you did a thing. So there's a little board movement to get to the spot to allow you to score based on that thing, and you score points. So basically, those four rounds of scoring will score you the vast majority of points. At the end of the game, if you built houses and towers, these columns kind of thing, you'll score additional points, and that's the whole game. Now, here's the thing. It is weirdly disconnected from the theme. Like, the game looks nice, and the dice selection is fun, and I don't like. And the board looks good. It's one. It's it's a rare game. Well, where like everything about the game is so disconnected and separate and kind of odd that I should really dislike this game because it's just like it's a bunch of actions on a board, and yet there's something surprisingly easy about the engagement that I like the game. <laughs> so I'm just like. Do I not like it because it's just a bunch of random things that you have to do in a Euro game? Or do I like it because it's so easy to access and play and build up and there's a lot of different things you can do that makes it fun? That's great. The only, again, the only other downside is player count, Will. So you mentioned about like not playing Wolves with like two players because it gets a little too tight. Play with a lot of players because area control games always need a lot of players. This game is probably the opposite. It's probably best at two because there's a lot of AP in the game, Will. So, like, if you're going to choose a die, you're going to get a bunch of resources and you're going to get a bunch of actions. But if there are three or four people playing the game, by the time it comes back around to you, those actions might be taken. And now you have to build up a whole new plan. And no one likes to building up a whole new plan. (laughs) (laughs) No one likes to sit there and plan their turn and then have to replan the turn. Yeah. Exactly. And again, when you move your your cart through the city, it's very easy to kind of like have a plan, then see things taken, and then go. I can't go that way anymore because the resources in that series that city's now gone. So the action I took that moved my cart down the way is completely wasted, and I only get three dice to choose each round. So now I have to move the other way. Oh wait a minute! Someone took the action die that was in that movement area or there was no action dice in that movement area. So I'm oh, kind no. of stuck. So it's, it's kind of weirdly a good game that I feel like it's a little undercooked. It could use an expansion to make the game better. And once I was done playing it, well, and we played it a couple of times to see if as far as player count was concerned, what was the best player count? Max player count is definitely the better situation. And some of the bonuses change and the ways you can play change. I'm going to give this a play, Will. I'm going to give this a very, I'm going to give this a very light play because I enjoyed it enough that I want to play it again in the future, but I really wish that it did have an expansion to kind of tighten things up or connect things better. And in the future, I would only play this with two players, which is weird because generally when you play Euro games, you want to play with four players because it's just the magic number here. I would never play really with more than two players. So that's to let them love it. Part of the T series, one of the better games, one of the, you know, one of the better recent games, I would say. 
All right, so that's everything for our At the Tables. Will, we've avoided it long enough. We have to talk about it. Our feature review this week is the end of D&D? I don't know. So, Will, for all of us out there that are not role-playing game people and do not get strange emails in the middle of the night to back Kickstarters that like seem a little odd and cool at the same time, dude, what the heck has been happening? Okay, so this is one of those things that's going to like require us to travel in time a little bit as we talk about this, but we'll get there. Okay. Um, the basic level is that at the beginning of this month, Wizards of the Coast, who now who owns Dungeons and Dragons, who is owned by Hasbro, the uh, toy company and game company, um, they uh, a document was leaked that purported to be a new agreement for licensing and usage of Dungeons and Dragons based content for creators and this in itself like we knew they were working on this it was not super shocking but the contents of it were quite shocking and really messed with a lot of people um, it had people the sky is falling everything is ruined forever um, because the document that was leaked um, very clearly kind of a lot of community feels lays out a pretty aggressive, pretty anti-community strategy mm -hmm. from Wizards of the Coast um, that is based on monetizing the game. Um, and that's been something that the, the company has been talking about recently, um, feeling that the game is under-monetized, that people aren't spending enough money on uh, Dungeons & Dragons, which I don't know that I agree with as someone who spent a lot of money on Dungeons & Dragons. <laughs> but uh, I understand the premise, right? But uh, it, it was really shocking, and it was also uh, felt like it was snuck up on the community, right? Like, we knew they were working on it. They had said to the community, oh, it's in progress. We don't even know anything yet. And then, lo and behold, here this document comes, and uh, it seems like they've thought about it. It seems like they've written about it. It seems like they've sent it to some people. <laughs> um, and then, uh, somewhat predictably, the entire Dungeons & Dragons and RPG community just absolutely exploded over it. Yeah, that's a very weird thing. Like you said, first off, the idea that there wasn't enough money being spent on it. As someone who has not played D&D &D for many years, I own a lot of D&D &D books. So just because it's D&D, &D, the new 5th edition came out, I picked up a bunch of manuals. I have them. I, I flipped through them. I like them just as books. But I have not played it. So Wizards of the Coast has gotten lots of money from me. I'm just saying, like, you're doing fine. Everyone loved you five minutes ago. The D&D &D movie was coming out. That was looking decent. Everyone loved the fact that you were trying to make the game more inclusive and you were being smarter and more streamlined. And 5th Edition was crushing it. I was like talking to so many different people. And they were like playing D&D &D for the first time because 5th Edition was so smart, so sharp, like the best version, again, depending on when you go back, how far you go back, fourth edition was bad, but let's not talk about it. Nonetheless, so I just go on just my phone, go on the internet, and see everything burning, like endless numbers of memes, endless like threads, and just people, like random people, like on the street, just being like, what the heck is happening? Because it's so pervasive throughout, and people are so incredibly angry about this because this open license, right? This is this is where it comes down to, is that historically, and again, well, you can kind of clarify this, like D&D &D was okay, or Wizards of the Coast was okay with people 
using their system? Yeah, so that's mostly true. So yeah. um, old school, old, old D&D, like pre-third edition, sure. um, it was a really big deal. You couldn't publish anything that had anything Dungeons and Dragons in it or else they'd sue you, right? Oh. Um, and it would be bad. So, but then third <laughs> but then edition you, then comes out. you did a out. saving roll and you got out of it. <laughs> yeah, then you roll your save. And I don't, what's the legal save roll? Is it charisma? I guess it must be charisma. That would be fantastic um, if you went to court and then you're being sued and you were like, you rolled, <laughs> you rolled a nat 20 and you're just like, I'm out, I'm out. Well, <laughs> I like it. That's, that, that should hold up in court, actually. <laughs> Have dice rolls. And if you're going, if you're going against wizards. Specifically. Yes, only wizards. Um, only wizards, though. It doesn't work for any other court. Yeah, they have better um, <laughs> armor class anyway. You're fine. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. But historically, then 3rd edition comes out, and they released what is called the OGL, like the uh, uh, license for this. And the idea is that if the OGL lays out, here are the things you can and can't do, you can and can't use from mm -hmm. Dungeons & Dragons that we have created, you can use it to create your own material as long as you follow the rules that are inherent to the agreement. So you can't use our special super spec special things sure. like uh, like a beholder or an mm. owl bear or something like that, right? But they laid out the rules and if you follow the rules, you can publish basically your own game, your own supplements, your own stories that use Dungeons and Dragons. But you don't have to pay Dungeons and Dragons. You don't have to license anything from them. You aren't breaking copyright. Um, and this was a big step forward, was what a lot of people thought, right? Because mm -hmm. now people could, the community could publish their own stuff and flourish in that kind of a way. Um, and this was about year 2000, roughly. Um, and this became a really big deal. So if you're familiar with uh, Pathfinder, yes, uh, Pathfinder came out of this. Because Pathfinder is an adaptation, essentially, it's more nuanced than that, but it's an adaptation of 3.5 edition, yes. basically. Yes. Because they were moving on to four and people were like, actually, 3.5 is better. Yes. Um, let's just make our own game. That's that. Mm -hmm. And that's the OGL 1.0, the original one, is what allows Pathfinder to make their game. So we like this, right? It creates diversity in the community. Generally, um, it's it's not perfect. There are some warts to it, um, but we like it. Fourth edition comes along. Uh, Wizards of the Coast adds a new thing that's meant to sort of replace the old one. And it's much more bulletproof. It's much more friendly to Wizards of the Coast. And it's seen as sort of repressive by the community, right? Like it's taking away this right that we already had and it's going to harm the game. And all in the name of trying to make Wizards more money, right? And this is a whole big deal. Um, and eventually... They kind of backed off on this because fourth edition was not very well received for both gameplay reasons and for this reason. And so eventually they, you know, got bloodied a little bit by everything that happened. They backed off on it a little bit and they said, hey, you know, the original one is still fair, fair game. Please use that. We're not going to modify it. Fifth edition comes out. Now they pull this, which is perceived as like, oh, this is their try going into the next edition of the game, which is mm -hmm. going to be next, or uh, one D&D, or D&D &D 1, um, this is their attempt to, like, redo the agreement to be more favorable to them, basically. Sure. It's interesting because coming from the board game area, the general knowledge that we have about around, like, le you know, what's legal and not legal as far as concerned, IPs are off the table, right? And I guess this is so somewhat similar, right? 
if someone has created an intellectual property, if they have characters, if they have artwork, you can't replicate that. But in tabletop gaming, you can't trademark a mechanic. So if yes. you do a deck builder, you could do a deck builder. An area control game, you could do an area control game. That's open for everyone, which is amazing that they allow that because you get a lot of great games that utilize those mechanics and they innovate on that as well, which is wonderful. So it was very strange for me to hear that this thing was actually restricting what, again, would seem like an endless number of versions of that initial system that, like you said, is like Pathfinder, but other ones, right? Like the one, even the role-playing game you talked about, like it has spawned so many different variations of role-playing game. That's just, it's, I mean, there was such a good feeling towards them. I mean, so, so now that they leaked this is, and again, we don't know like what the final version of this, because Wizards of the Coast has kind of been very vague about this. They, they didn't, they didn't know about the reaction, right? So the re- tell me about the reaction. Because again, like I've seen the reaction, you've seen the reaction, my mom's seen the reaction, and she doesn't even role play. So like, so what's been the reaction? What's the reaction? Yeah, so the reaction was pretty explosive from the beginning because some of the most inflammatory things in the what they call the 1.1 OGL, um, some of the most inflammatory things included you would have to pay royalties to Wizards of the Coast if you make above a certain amount of money selling a product that is licensed with this agreement. Sure. Which has never been done before, right? So it's like, oh, so I'm going to have to lose money to this company. That's kind of messed up, right? Mm -hmm. Second thing that was a problem was that it kind of creates this situation where you have to register every product that you're going to sell under the OGL with Wizards. Every version of that product. Yeah. So if you put it on your web store, that's a version. If you sell it in person, that's a version. If you put it on this other web store, that's a version, right? So now you're having to like be tracked by them. And they have an encyclopedic thing of everything that's been published, which in the past, they didn't really seem to care. Um, so this is weird. And the other thing is that there's a clause in there that says they can reproduce and use anything that you write. Wow. Anything that you publish, they can just print it and use it and reuse it and do weird things without telling you, without licensing, without paying you. Um, And so this is a weird thing, right? Where it's like, we're going to take your money. We're going to tell you what you can and can't do with it. We're going to, you know, own your stuff. We don't even, you don't even have freedom to what you write. We own it in a way. Um, And so people start losing their minds pretty immediately. Right, especially uh, the people that are creating content, right? Because you have to understand if you're a company that's making stuff that's published under this license, that's your bottom line that yeah. you're hitting, right? You might just now lose 10, 15, 20% off the top to pay wizards to use this. And like, I don't know what business you run, but like a lot of businesses can't survive a 15% drop in margin, right? It just doesn't work that way. But the other fear was that if you're a company, because they said in their release, maybe like 20 people are going to be affected by paying royalties, right? Because like, there's not that many people that are making that much money because the money cap was like three quarters of a million dollars a year plus, right? So like, if you're a guy sitting in your one thing, writing your stuff, you're probably not going to be a millionaire off of that, right? Mm -hmm. So you're probably not affected by it. But companies like Paizo, who makes Pathfinder. Yeah are going to be affected by it. Companies like Green Ronin, who makes a lot of really cool games, 
are going to be affected by it. And so people are saying like, oh, this is a really big deal. People that run Patreons and Kickstarters sure. for products like this are going to be affected. And, you know, so people start losing their minds. People start, you know, postulating on what will happen. But then the community catches on to this and starts reading the text of the thing because it got leaked. And the text of it is pretty rough, all things considered. That's like, wait, so you're telling me like Wizards is just going to take what I write. That's not right. You can't do that. That's not the spirit of the thing. It's not, it's crushing the community of writers yeah. and creatives and interesting people that have called this system home for many, many years at this point. It's incredible because, again, like I said, that it it's kind of been an endless fountain. I, I Even on Kickstarter, you see so many different role-playing games pop up, all these different themes and homebrew situations. And it's, like you said, it, it's it's been the foundation of so much of tabletop gaming for so long. I mean, outside of D and D and everything that it's produced, you know, with other people, there's been magic, the gathering, which again, I know magic the gathering again, you know, wizards of the coast and somewhat restrictive as that you, you can't tap a card or for a very long time, you couldn't use the word tapping a card, even though oh, most, yeah. most games actually tapped a card. I think we talked about this way back, maybe two or three years ago, but that's so painfully restrictive considering what type of community. And again, like a lot of other companies, they don't understand the the community and the industry in which they are producing products for, because we are a very unique type of people. And this is, this is harmful because part of the hobby in which we participate in is a hobby that allows us to participate at a deep and meaningful level. And that includes producing content and maybe any one of us, myself, you will, uh, the people listening right now could be the next, you know, people out there that produces the next Pathfinder or something else out there. Because as you mentioned, Will, with, with the games that we, we were talking about earlier, the biggest challenge for games just as, as generally getting to the table is the fact that you have to learn a new system almost each and every time you play a game. So having a system somewhat built in that everyone has some level of familiarity to it allows you to really engage the game in a meaningful way and allow you to to put other things on it. Without that, I don't know if anyone really gets involved in role-playing games because there's a stack of books that they have to read and the whole concept and just it's it's damaging and damning to the system yeah when I, I think you hit on something that's really pretty important that it creates this weird dynamic where it undoes a lot of work that's already been done and it affects a lot of really treasured things yes. um, and so that, i think that was a big piece of it was people were reacting to this and feeling very negatively about it and also the piece of it that it feels like it's being impo imposed upon us as a community mm -hmm. From people outside of our community yeah. right the the people that are the c-suite at wizards yes. of the coast don't play dungeons and dragons straight up they're yeah. just business people right and that's fine fair enough they don't have to be you know someone who like cut their teeth on like they were yeah. a writer and they became a ceo like who cares but you're you're watching that right like the c-suite of people wants yeah. to make more money and believes and the opinion was it feels like they think we are a barrier to them getting money 
Yes. Like they're going to try to squeeze us to get more money. And the part of the problem with this is people from inside Wizards of the Coast started allegedly, air quotes, leaking to content creators out in the community where like someone would share, like, here are things from a meeting that I heard literally someone in the C-suite say, I don't care about what the players are going to think. Get me more money. Yeah. Right. And then, of course, the community loses its mind because, yes. like, of course, you're literally hearing the people that control <laughs> your hobby tell you that they don't care and that they're going to try to do weird, stupid things that are going to harm your enjoyment of the hobby and sure. maybe put people you care about out of business. Yes. Maybe make it so you can't play this thing you're wanting to play. Yeah, and I think, as you mentioned, well, they're saying that's gonna, only going to hit a very, very small percentage of people who make X number of dollars, but I don't think I don't think the outcome is really the problem. I think the fear is the problem because I want to believe I can create a system and run a Kickstarter or start a business or a company because this industry is one in which, as a role play gamer, I create in the action of the game, a world and a universe in of itself. So whether I create a character sheet or write some background or lore, or I create a situation with the players at the table, those people are a very unique group of people that need and want and have to have that kind of creative freedom. Otherwise the whole system just doesn't work. Because there's a fear that somehow you're going to infringe, impose upon us. And like, yeah, I'm never going to make three quarters of a million dollars off a game. But if I fear that I have to put in papers and sign agreements and, you know, and account for X, Y, and Z, as a small mom and pop company, which again, we think of Paizo and other companies as like big companies. They're really not big companies. They're not. Really not. And... It's a misunderstanding, as you said, Will, of what the type of product that they're selling. So they think they're selling some generic cog. They're selling a book. Yes. They're selling a physical object. What they're really selling is they're selling craft materials to a community of crafters who like to craft yes. things and then say anything that you produce from the, the crafting material that we've given you, we can then take from you and reproduce on our own at a later point and not have to care or say anything. And we can also tax you for making something. So you make a bracelet, you make an Afghan, you make a scarf. Like we mm -hmm. now own that. Like, again, that's, that's, <laughs> I understand it. You should make money off your product that you had real legitimate designers and publishers. You deserve support. You deserve money. You're, but you're making a terrible mistake with not understanding your customers. Your customers are participators. They're builders. They're crafters. They're lore builders. They're not just passive consumers. This is not a product that you consume. This is a product in which you participate in. You know, I don't. You go to a board and brush situation, or I don't know, alcohol and painting situation. And they say, paint this picture on the wall and you follow the directions and you use the techniques and then you paint the picture. And then as you're walking out, they take it back from you <laughs> or they yeah. charge you. Yeah. <laughs> they charge you an extra tax or something like, 
again, that should not be a thing. And here we are. It's a thing. That's it's crazy. It is. And uh, yeah, I don't know if you arrested development, but it, it very much has the vibe of like, there's always money in the banana stand, right? Like they're just going <laughs> to like find money from you. And like, it's insulting as someone who has bought the games, who spent a lot of money, who's going to spend a lot of money. I pay for a yearly subscription to D&D Beyond because it's a great tool for being a DM and for sharing content. I talked about it last time, which, you know, uh, I feel kind of bad that I was like, ah, d and so good. And then they like burned me on that one. But uh, the other thing of it is that it prompted sort of the community to respond in ways that felt like it made sense. Because the thing is, like, when you're monetizing Dungeons and Dragons, you could just not buy the books, right? Yes. That would that would show them. Except like <laughs> there's not a book out. You can't just stop buying the book because you've already bought it. You can't unbuy it, right? Yes. And so one of the things that happened was the community got together and said, okay, what are we going to do about this? Because we don't like this. We need yes. to show them that this is going to hurt their bottom line. So we mm -hmm. need to make it hurt right in the wallet. And so what they did was they got together and said, okay, uh, I, I think this was based off a leak potentially that came from inside the company, but I can't verify that um, fully because there's mixed stories. But what people did was they got together and they canceled their D&D Beyond subscriptions. Mm. They went in, they said, cancel it. I'm actually going to cancel. I'm actually going to delete my account even. Yes. And what they did was they went in and they said, look, if the people are going to look at the money, if overnight their subscriptions drop, they're going to know that we're pissed. And so uh, people went in and I, I read a thing that was at least 400,000 wow. people canceled their subscriptions Crazy. like within like two days of this. And it crashed the website. It crashed D&D Beyond's account webpage because so many people were trying to access it. Crazy. And yeah, so the C-suite immediately is like, uh-oh, 400,000 <laughs> people stopped paying us what just happened so they yeah. go and they like release this statement and they're like well look we we messed up like this was a draft like it wasn't the final one although it probably was yes they're like oh look well we kind of messed up like we were still workshopping it a bit but like look we hear you we screwed it up so like here are some things and they they start to walk back some of the most egregious things in the draft right they're like oh well what we meant to say was this. So like, it's not that bad, right? We're on the same team. And predictably, they walk back a little bit of it. And like, they're like, look, we're not going to take the royalties piece. Actually, we're going to remove the part where like, ownership of product, because what we meant was, and then, you know, they had this whole thing of like, what we meant was, we didn't want to take your work. We just wanted the ability to make sure that it wouldn't get reproduced or used in a really unfair or unsafe way. And it's like, okay, but that's not how that works. But yeah. like, I'm not a lawyer, but like I come from a family of lawyers and I can pretty sure I tell you that's not how that works. But <laughs> so they walk it back, community's still pissed off and they're like, nope, we're still canceling subscriptions, bye. And so then a couple days later, after the whole fire has been burning, it now seems very clear, cause this is like, a a week and a half on basically it now seems very clear that they've like hired a pr firm to handle this which mm -hmm. is brilliant <laughs> love it because they released this thing we're like hey look by x date we are going to release a draft version that reflects the changes we just talked to you about here's what's going to be in it we're going to take feedback on it and you're going to send us feedback we're going to take the feedback we're going to release a new draft which 
this is actually how they do new content, right? Mm -hmm. If you've ever seen the Unearthed Arcana content, mm -hmm. it's their like playtest stuff, basically. Sure. They're like, we released a new version of the Ranger class because Ranger sucks. Um, here, <laughs> play it, right? So they're like, this is what we're going to do. And we're going to iterate and we're going to co cooperatively create the new agreement. Aww. But of course, the community is still like, no, we're not. <laughs> we're going to stop. We're not going to do anything. We're just going to use the old one. But that's not going anywhere. Um, and this is where like the the story takes an interesting turn, which I'm going to like turn the turn the light on the community a little bit, because one of the things that happens, they send out this thing of like, oh, we're going to do feedback and iterative design, all this. Um, another leaker, air quotes, reaches out to some content creators, influencers in the D&D space and says, no one reads your feedback Ooh. ever mm. on anything, like not on game design, not on anything, but especially not on this. And so this goes out in the community, communities like losing their minds all over again of like, no, we're not going to help you. We're not going to spend our time helping you create this thing that you're not even going to listen to, which sure. interestingly enough, it turns out allegedly, this is still going on, allegedly that isn't real. Like mm. that was not a real thing. They actually do read your feedback, although in a way that maybe is different than you're expecting, because like if 10,000 people send them a write-up of something they just sure. don't have the manpower to read ten thousand things but yeah. they they process it somehow um and so it's provably false so far that you know they are actually they do listen to feedback we don't know if they're gonna do it for this but we assume mm -hmm. um but the community is still kind of going on this and so there's leaks going around and i say leaks with air quotes again that are maybe things that are happening but maybe not mm -hmm. and kind of one of the things that has started happening is like the outrage is starting to fuel the outrage Yes. Um, where, you know, people are upset about these things that they're hearing, which may or may not be true, but not everybody's on the same news feed. So mm. you're not, oh, this thing that was released, it's fake. And only 30% of the population realizes the retraction has happened. The other 70% is like still on the warpath about it, right? Sure. Which is a thing that happens in real life also in every space. So it's not unique to the community. Mm -hmm. Um. But now we're at this place where like a lot of people are really pissed off about some things that aren't happening and we're not pissed off about the things that are happening, which is like effectively the community has like strong armed wizards yeah. into redoing this, at least to some degree. I can't tell you that I think the product is going to be good at the end. I sure. don't know what it will mean for the community. Um, but from my point of view, in like a week, you've got them from taking your money, owning your product and closing down all of your favorite games to not doing any of those things. Now, granted, they're still working on it. One of the current bones to pick is in the draft version that they shared, which actually just went out today. Um, the draft version has some languaging about they have the right to uh, remove or shut down any content that they find uh, to be offensive mm -hmm. um, or you know hateful or hurtful, um, which is meant to be like, don't make hate speech the D and D game. Sure, I guess. Like you don't want them to like. Yeah, of course. Create like the fascist version of D and D that's like all about you know racial inequality or something. But it the way it's written is very much like if we think it's objectionable, we'll just kick you off the platform. Yeah, and take all your license and make it so you can't sell your product anymore, which mm -hmm. obviously has to change because like you can't make a blatant statement about like what we think is objectionable yes. because then the company could be like actually things that don't make us money are objectionable we've yeah. decided by 
Um, so there's still kinks to work out. I can't tell you which direction it's going, but uh, that is sort of the current space of where we're at. So far, they've walked it back. The community has like exerted its influence over the company. We're seeing what's going to happen next, I guess. Yeah, it's an ever-growing drama. And like I said, even for people who are not into role-playing games, it's amazing to watch. And I, I, like you said, well, there's there's so many aspects to it. It could make a really, could make a really good movie, I guess, in and of itself, or a documentary. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, my takeaways from it have been, I'm glad that gamers have responded. And it seems like they've responded responsibly, more or less. Like, hey, yep, sure. you're producing a product. I don't like what you're producing or what your your expectations are about the future of this. I'm just going to pull my resources, right? This this has always been the popular refrain of the powerful, where it's like, if you don't like it, just change the channel, right? But here is something that has dominated the industry for decades now at this point and has been inter in, involved in everything and again you should certainly have the right to make money off the property and the work that you've produced but again you should recognize what you've produced is somewhat of a cooperative product and you have to respect that or you know fool around and find out and that's what they did and, and again i've even seen that this is this is cascaded onto the upcoming movie, the D&D &D movie that's coming out this year. And then yes. people are pulling ticket sales. They're, they're, they're canceling their ticket sales in advance. Yeah, so one of the things is, one, one of the other ideas in the community was, the movie's coming out. If we boycott the movie, it'll hit them in the pocketbook, which I'm kind of like on the fence about, because like, yes, that's absolutely a strategy to make them not make money. Mm -hmm. But also like the movie doesn't come out for, a little bit of time so yes. like you know there's sort of questions about what that's going to look like um i know the the uh idea of it went trending on social yes. media not too long ago so that's a thing um the interesting thing is, though is that i think they're like all good backlashes do and all good revolutions sure. do like it's creating things not just the we're going to cancel our subscriptions not yeah. just we're going to make the movie less profitable which are fair enough game um but we talked about Paizo and uh, Pathfinder. Paizo got together with a bunch of other people that create OGL content based on Dungeons and Dragons that were going to be affected by this agreement and have decided they are going to create their own version of the agreement that wow. collaborates all of their systems together to being open, honest, transparent, and a permanent agreement that will always be in place to protect the community. Crazy. Yeah. In the future. And it's super cool because their idea is that they're going to, um, you know, the Creative Commons license? Yes. Yeah. So they're going to do basically the same thing. They're going to create a nonprofit that's going to steward the agreement. That So no company will have agreement over it or have power over it. So like Paizo can't 20 years later come back and be like, actually, we think this is dumb and we're going to cancel it. Right. There's a legal question of whether you can cancel one of these agreements, by the way, which is a legal question. I don't know the answer to, but <laughs> whatever. Yeah. But the funny part is like, Wizards might have accidentally mobilized sure. all of their like reasonably biggest uh, threats into yeah. one house Crazy. to create an agreement that's better and more beneficial for the community than theirs, um, which I'm 100% about. Like, um, I, I think it's amazing that, that they're accidentally going to do this, perhaps. 
Um, also, credit where credit's due, the uh, alleged version that's being worked on, um, the acronym for it is WORP, which, <laughs> fantastic, 10 that's out great. of 10, I have no notes about it. Um, but yeah, I think it'll be interesting, because I think, you, as you said, you can take your money elsewhere, you can change the yeah. channel. Um, there's a million and one great RPG systems out there. You don't have to play Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Um, and you are now about to potentially have much more legitimized, much more set in stone competition. And like, is the same level of money and involvement and market share dominance? No. But like, one of the things, if you screw around and you find out, um, one of the things you might find out is that like, there are other people that are going to be nicer to me yeah. that are going to have a game that is similarly easy to find and play yeah. and has new stuff coming out and like maybe has more modern trappings. Um, Cause I know you sent me this article about the uh, Pathfinder earlier yeah. and like Pathfinder has a very different structure of doing stuff than does Dungeon the Dragons. And I can't imagine that there are people out there that are going to be like, Oh no, that's terrible. This modern version of, you know, whatever, like if, you, things change with the times and if like look if you're a company and there's someone who's does things in a smarter more agile more friendly to consumer way uh sometimes you lose market share and money to those people and don't damage your community rep folks because like if you're a game like D, that's a lot of what you have like people will go see the movie but like how many people are going to go see the movie that are just like oh yeah i've sure. heard of dungeons and dragons you know some yeah, but it and again, it's a shame. And again, I guess it's part of it. This is again, I'm, I'm making wild speculations here. Will Stranger Things, you know, like how it kind of repopulized a lot of the D and D content for like the generic kind of audience, and they must have seen a flush of cash from that. And we're and then absolutely, obviously, like you said, you have the C suite and you have corporations and investments and endless number of like shadow corporations who own these companies come in here and go, I feel, you know, like they get a jolt and they're like, Oh, we can make more money off of this. And, and like you said, they ended up making their own arch nemesis, which they actually, yeah. Like clearly they could have just left everything alone and been happy with what they had. And somehow they just mobilized and, you know, brought together a coalition to fight against them for no particular reason. And again, it's not the first time that Wizards of the Coast has done something like this. Magic the Gathering with their $300 or whatever it was, like it was it was a very simple, cheap, I think it was $300, maybe I'm at $100, but it was like a very expensive set of cards that were not valuable. Like they, they, they were like a special set, but they were like, basically <laughs> they were making, they were just printing money, but not giving the, the, yep. the community really what, what value that they were expecting. So, whereas like, for example, Yu-Gi-Oh! or something like that, like they make their stuff really accessible and affordable. So, yeah, this has been a thing. And again, we've seen this in the tabletop industry and we've talked about this for years, Will. Like tabletop industry, when we started about 10 years ago, is was radically different than it is today. Like, I, again, if you were not at the conventions, you know, back 10, 7, 8, 9 years ago, you, it had no, it was radically, completely, the vibe was different. Now you have one company, corporation outside, just gobbling up other ones. The innovations, the production, the community just keeps shrinking because somehow by reducing and restricting, 
it just they think they make more money, and I guess they do in some cases. But again, for example, Fantasy Flight, which is one of the biggest game companies for like five minutes, have like crumbled. Like the the company crumbled, and it was one of the biggest companies for a very long time. So, whew, I, I guess good bad will. I guess we'll we'll continue to see where this goes, and hopefully, Wizards of the Coast learns a lesson and you know redeems itself because. It's a shame, and like you said, well, there's endless numbers of other types of role-playing games out there that people could participate in, so, you know, maybe in the future we could talk about some of those that, you know, people want should want or should check out, because there are a lot of wonderful content creators that are producing stuff out there, and again, remember, these people who produce, whether it's, you know, RPGs, tabletop games, anything, they're mom and pops, to, you know, they really are small groups of really passionate people who are just barely getting through making a living and they need your participation and and support wizards of the coast not so much they're fine everybody else could kind of use a look over so you know i would say i think and i I don't know if you agree with me well like take the time to look for other games not to mean you have to abandon D &D, but maybe take a look maybe it's a good opportunity to do that yeah, I will say that, like, I'm not here to tell you, like, don't buy things from Wizards of the Coast anymore. Never play Dungeons and Dragons again. Because, like, in transparency, I'm still playing. Yeah. I'm still running the games, all that. But I will say, I think this is a good time to check in. How do you feel about it as a community member? What do you want to look around and see? Because the honest truth is, like, there's a lot of other games out there that aren't going to try to punch you in the face when you try to play them. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I have the inclination that, like, eventually they will be shamed enough and they will cost enough money that they'll like kind of get back on the right track again. But you know, there's plenty of other games that are really wanting you to play them where there's novel, interesting stuff happening in the tabletop world. And I think this is a really good time to go and experiment with some stuff. And I think that's something, you know, I'm hoping that we'll bring in here, you know, Hey, what, what's out there? What are the, the alternatives? What are the things for different people? Right. Because you and I have different preferences in board games. You we know, do. you and I probably have different preferences in RPGs as well. And so maybe there's something out there that's more your speed that speaks directly to what you want to be doing in the game. And why not go out there and try it out? Excellent. Well said, Will. Well, again, Will, thanks so much for joining us. Um, un- until next time, everyone, this is Chris. And this is Will. And we'll save everyone a seat at the table. Maybe except for Wizards of the Coast, just saying. Just for the time being. Yeah, we'll see.